0: Welcome. Church of the Advent is an Anglican congregation in Denver, Colorado that seeks to share in the life of God by redefining and reorienting everything around the gospel of Jesus Christ. We hope you are challenged and encouraged and move closer toward the gospel by this week's message. So we want to look at this parable that we just heard read. And the question I want to ask is, what does it mean to be faithful? What does it mean to be faithful? So I want to start by offering... Just First off, what is the definition of faithfulness? Faithful, A faithful person is a person who can be trusted. A faithful person is a person who can be depended on, relied upon. And then the question is how? How do we become faithful people? Not people who are just outwardly responding in ways we think look faithful, but, but actually inwardly, when we're alone by ourselves, people whom delight in faithfulness. So I want to just lead us through this story. I would encourage you to get out the Bible in front of you or on your phone or however you want to follow along, because we are just going to walk right through this text and look for answers to this question. What does it mean to be faithful? How can we be faithful? So Matthew 25, uh, beginning in verse 14. So Jesus begins his teaching, and he says, For it, which is the kingdom of God, for it will be like a man going on a journey. Who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. Now, the context here is the, the Olivet discourse, it's been called, and again and again the subject is the kingdom of God. So it is the kingdom of God. And there's a man going on a journey, and this man is who who might it be? Jesus. The Sunday school answer. Come on. <clears throat> and so Jesus is teaching as he's overlooking the, the city of Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives. How many of you have been there and stood? Uh, yeah, I would love to go one day. Um, he's he's looking uh, over the city of Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives, and he's giving this teaching. He's looking at this city where in just a matter of one week, really, he's going to be killed, he's going to be buried, he's going to be raised, and then 50 days after that, he's going to be ascended. And so this is the man who's about to go on a journey, Jesus. He's, He's looking at the journey he's about to go on as he's sharing this parable. But before he goes on a journey, what happens? He calls his servants together, and that's the disciples gathered around them in this teaching, and he gives them money. It turns out, a lot, a lot of money. So a talent, to one he gives five talents, to another two talents, to another one, and then we read, to each according to his ability, and then he went away. I love the NIV translation of talent. Talent in the NIV is bags of gold, (laughs) but not a very precise measurement because scholars debate how much a talent actually is, but... A lot of money some sellers think upwards of a million dollars even so bags of gold one servant gets a million dollars the next two million the next five million dollars and we just need to pause there for a minute to understand this parable you know the ending of this parable is really intense and it makes us uncomfortable but to understand the parable's ending we have to dwell here for a minute on the beginning it starts with a master making his servants filthy rich You know, in a day when a fight for just daily bread and survival dominated the activities of daily life for basically everyone but the the wealthy, suddenly their master is giving them bags of gold. So salvation always begins, always begins with God, the grace of God, uh, sometimes defined as God's riches at Christ's expense. It's a gift that comes to us in our poverty and makes us filthy rich. Why does it come to us? The same reason it comes to the servants. Verse 14, the master called us and entrusted to us his riches. That's salvation. The gift of his talents, these bags of gold. So the parable begins with lavish gift and we have to understand that. But then he gives, very importantly, each according to his ability. And I want to underline this and highlight it and circle this. This this little phrase is so often ministered to to my heart when I sink into comparison, which I do all too easily as an Enneagram 4, supposedly. Um, I just finished watching the, um, the David Beckham documentary on Netflix. It's, it's so good. Um, as a college soccer player in the early 2000s, I idolized him along with some other players. And yet, just thinking about who, who, think about who you idolize and who you've looked up to, because these people, whether they're athletes or maybe people in, in your profession, they're also reminders of that, like, we're not the best in the world at what we do. They can humble us. So When we recognize we're not the best, and maybe it's not David Beckham, maybe it's a coworker or a boss, I don't know, just someone around you who's like, they have gifts that I don't, and I wish I had them. Do we just just live in insecurity and in comparison? Just find refuge in these words, for each according to his ability. There is incredible freedom in realizing that God is calling you to be faithful with what he's given you, with what he's given you, not with what he's given someone else. God has given you a genuine self. You are you. I am me. We are different. We have different experiences and backgrounds and gifts and passions. And that's okay. And that's good. You don't need to be a better such and such than someone else is. You need to be called a faithful with the calling and the skills and the strengths and the personality you have. And so your parenting, for example, doesn't need to be better than theirs. Maybe they grew up in an incredibly passive home and you grew up in a home with lots of anger and conflict, you have different challenges, different expressions of what growing in faithfulness might look like for you. Right? We're all different. Uh, You don't need to give more money than the person next to you does to be more generous. You know, maybe you grew up in a very wealthy home. Maybe you have a trust fund. Thank God for all the wealth that you have and, and how you might use it. Maybe you have a vacation home. These are good gifts, but maybe the person next to you has school loans and struggles to make rent. Generosity is going to look different for you. We all, we've all come in from different places. And so the, the, the goal here is faithfulness, not being better, not winning. So yeah, God isn't a coach asking you to win. He's a good father asking you to be faithful with what you've been given what happens next? Verse 16. He had received five talents when at once and, and traded with him, and he had made five talents more. He had two talents, two talents more, but the one who received one dug a hole. <laughs> That's the equivalent of, I don't, I don't know, he dug a hole uh, and, and put his master's money in it. So five million turns into ten million, two million turns into four million, one million dollars is in the ground. Now after a long time, the master of the servants comes to settle accounts And I love that little detail, after a long time. I think it's important, because remember the context. Jesus has entrusted, what, the kingdom, the kingdom of God to his disciples, and we don't know when he will return. The the master was away for a long, long time. So in the servants in the story, they weren't just an overnight success. Who knows what sort of bad investments they had made along the way that ultimately might be atoned for by a big gain somewhere along the way. Similarly, the servant who buried the treasure was not just having like a bad day, he spent a lifetime, a small lifetime, hiding away his talent. It was a pattern of living. Now, you know, I don't know if you've ever clung to this verse like I have, his mercies are new every morning, (laughs) because if I were to be judged at times by just this little slice of life when I'm at my worst, (laughs) I'd be in trouble. But thank God that Jesus is interested in how our behavior over years and years and years, the long haul gives insight into our character. That's the thing about fruit. We read the, the um, Galatians 5 and the fruits of the Spirit. Fruit is a good metaphor because it isn't fast. It isn't instant. You can't hack fruit growth. You know, you, it, it takes, it's slow, natural, long process. It happens over a long time. So as we think about faithfulness, it's not, a better question is not, are you more gentle than you were yesterday? Well, that'd be great. Good. But it's, are you more gentle than you were three years ago? Like, think in the big picture. How is the Lord changing over time? Okay? So they were gone for, he was gone for a long time. What happens next? Verse 20. And he who had received five talents came forward, bringing five more. Okay, two talents, two more. Great, enter into the joy of your master. And then finally the one. Now, notice what the master doesn't say to the guy who turns two bags of gold into four. He doesn't say, nice job, but did you see the guy with five? He made ten. What, what are you doing? No, he said the same response to each of them, the same exact response. He, he begins with praise. He says, well done, good and faithful servant, to both of them. And then he says, you have been faithful over little. I'll set you over much. So he gives them responsibility. And then he responds with the same reward. Enter into the joy of your master, whether it was two to four or five to ten. The same praise, the same joy, the same uh, responsibility. And again, underlining the point, it is not about the total profit. It is about the faithfulness, the stewardship of the unique abilities you've been entrusted with. But then look what happens next. So the same thing we see for the first two, but then we read in verse 24, he would received the one talent came forward saying, master, I knew you to be a hard man reaping where you did not sow gathering where you were scattering no seed so I was afraid and I hid the talent in the ground here have what is yours so again notice the first words out of each of the servants mouths they start with master all of them but then right after that the word changes so the first two say you delivered me five talents you delivered me two talents in other words they are beginning with gratitude you gave me this gift you gave me this gift but what about the one talent man he said master not you delivered me he said master I knew you were a hard man. And the words for hard describe a man that is harsh, or cruel, or rigid, merciless. The word is like um, like a rock. A rock is merciless because even if something like as hard as bone collides with it, the rock wins. It doesn't give an inch. So he says, "I knew you were a rock. I knew you were merciless. So I was afraid, and I hid your money." And I think the question the parable is asking us to ask is like, should we should we believe him? Is he right about the master? We've just seen the master's character. That's why I began with the idea of bags of gold. He lavishes incredible wealth on his servants just as a gift. He gives them space, space to flourish, to invest it, to use it. He meets their, ex, their, their efforts with exuberant praise. He lavishes reward on them. This is like an employee's dream. This is a master who longs to share abundantly with his servants, over-the-top goodness and generosity. So do you see what the parable is getting at a little bit? I often quote A.W. Tozer who says that what comes to God, what comes to our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Because actually it's a false image of his master that's the real problem here, I think. The story he has about his master is that his master is merciless and that doesn't actually bear resemblance with reality. It's wrong. And it's this rotten, rude idea about who Jesus is that has given rise to the bad fruit, to the unfaithfulness You're merciless, so I buried the gold. This image of God will produce bad fruit in us. If this is your image of God, like you just dutifully go through life, going through the religious motions, trying to appease an angry God, you're not going to delight in him and his faithfulness. You're not going to produce good fruit. It's going to lead to just rejection of God or just sin management, you know, like it did for this servant. Just try to not make him mad all the time. But what's the problem with this? The the problem with sin management. In the end, the servant's only thinking about how to save himself, not about how to serve his master. It's a very different approach to the spiritual life, and the Lord wants so much more for us. And so in verse 26, the master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I did not sow and gather where I scattered no seed. To be clear, this is not the master saying, you're right, I am merciless. I think it's actually a rhetorical move with with a touch of sarcasm I'm so merciless, so exacting, am I? Okay, fine, let's go with that for a minute. Let's imagine I am. Let's imagine you're right. Then you ought to have at least invested my money with the bankers. My coming, I would receive some interest. For to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. So take the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten talents. Now, you know, Christians, we don't believe in karma in the Eastern sense. But there does seem to be a kind of God-ordained natural way of things here. Good fruit grows, drops seed, and then more grows. So a healthy tree flourishes and multiplies, and there's a sense of abundance and more and more. And the opposite is also true. Bad fruit, bad seed, it doesn't multiply. Healthy things have this kind of trajectory towards more flourishing. So enter into my joy, I will set you over much. By the same way, uh, some commentators note how this language has left the realm of economics now. For those of you who are in business, this is a sweet parable to Jesus often actually used parables that were around agriculture or around business. And this is one for for those of you in business. But it's left the realm of business and now enters into the realm of heaven. Enter into my master's joy. What is that? The Bible, we often say here, doesn't depict eternal life as God's uh, you know, just like a never-ending church service. We're all just going to be sitting in the pews and singing Chris Tomlin and Kumbaya for billions of years. It speaks of us co-reigning and ruling with Christ, doing and making and creating and playing and designing and, and producing works of art and cultivating the ground. It's, it's an ever-deepening role in the governing of redeemed reality. That's what faithfulness leads to. But the reverse is also true, and this is Jesus' point. Have you noticed that those who gossip tend to be the subject of gossip? Have you noticed that those who grumble tend to have more and more and more and more to grumble about? That those who choose selfishness are more and more cut off from others and isolated and alone? You know, those who live by the sword die by the sword, so to speak. And so over the long haul, the point is your life does have a trajectory towards faithfulness and flourishing or towards darkness and not flourishing. And so the final verse strikes with this severity. It says, cast the worthless servant out in darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So the question of the master's character, again, is he merciless? Is he a hard man? And the point I'm trying to make is no. The answer is no. He's incredibly generous. He's incredibly good. And it's because the first two servants trusted this that they risked investment. We know that Jesus tells a very similar parable in Matthew 18, um, in Matthew 18, there's a servant who blows all of his master's money. But what happens in that parable? The servant simply falls on his knees and begins begging for forgiveness. And you know what the master does? He grants it. We read in verse 27 in Matthew 18, and out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. Parables teach us an aspect of God's character. No one parable should be taken in complete isolation to paint a complete picture of God. The point is that there's a servant who is given a million dollars. He would have invested that million. He he may have even blown it all, but what would have happened? He would have been forgiven because the master's not merciless and cruel. He was wrong. He had freedom to risk, freedom to step out in faith, freedom to try to be faithful with what he was given. Now, I want to close by just bringing this back full circle to the faithful one because you and I, we might be growing, Lord willing, we're growing in faithfulness But the only way we grow in faithfulness is by returning again and again to the one who really is faithful. This parable, you know, well, every week we recite the creeds. The creed, Jesus, what? He suffered, he died, he was buried, he descended to the dead, we read. And theologians are far from united on what exactly that means, but there's a general consensus here. Jesus was cut off from the Father's joy as though he were the worthless servant cast out in total darkness, where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. He was forsaken because God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him would have eternal life. So it turns out the master we have is not merciless, far from it. Our master has bled and died to forgive our debts. Our master has taken the place of the forsaken one that we might not be forsaken to atone for our unfaithfulness. That's the kind of master we have. That's his character. So if we are to be faithful to God and to one another, it's got to start there by delighting in the faithful love of God to us. The psalm we read this morning repeated it over and over again. In Hebrew, some of you have heard the word chesed. You have to say it with a little bit of spit. Chesed. And that word means loving kindness. And so when we read Psalm 136, we we actually read that word over and over and over again. It means loving kindness or steadfast faithfulness. And so I want to read it one more time. I want you to remember that this whole idea of faithfulness that you're inviting to walk in ultimately comes to deeply apprehending and, 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 and knowing and experiencing the, the steadfast faithfulness of God in Christ to us who was forsaken in our place. So let me read it. Actually, I'm going to read the, the, mesh, the message translation of it, Psalm 136. Let it just wash over you and remind you of the character of, of your master. Thank God He deserves our thanks. His love never quits. And that's chesed, his love never quits. Thank the God of all gods, his love never quits. Thank the Lord of all lords, his love never quits. Thank the miracle-working God, his love never quits. The God whose skill formed the cosmos, his love never quits. The God who struck down the Egyptian firstborn, his love never quits. And rescued Israel from Egypt's oppression, his love never quits. God remembered us when we were down. His love never quits. Rescued us from the trampling boot. His love never quits. Takes care of everyone in time of need. His love never quits. Thank God who did it all. His love never quits. Lord, thank you for your faithfulness to us. Thank you for being a master who's just lavished your grace upon us and given us gifts, in a role in your kingdom. And I pray that everyone here would um, hear from you ways that they might step out and use the talents you've given them, ways that they might take risks to invest in your kingdom, uh, to not bury the talent they've been given, knowing that there's safety in uh, having a master who loves us so fully with so much grace and longs to see us flourish. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. We encourage you to take a moment to reflect on what God might be saying to you through what you just heard. For questions, additional information, and resources, please visit adventdenver.com.